Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Stay at Whole Foods Market. The Bard College Dance Program, located 90 miles north of New York City in the Hudson Valley and housed in the Frank Gehry Design Fisher Center, sees the pursuit of artistry and intellect as a single endeavor and the study of the body as a cognitive act, demanding both physical practice and exploration of the broader academic context in which the art form exists. Through intensive technique and composition courses, onstage performances, and production experience, Dance students are prepared to understand and practice the art of choreography and performance. Since 2009, the Bard Dance Program has hosted an in-residence dance company or performing arts organization bringing professional technique and composition to the academic program in the forms of teaching, educational licensing projects, master classes, full company production residencies, and public performances. Past partnerships have included the Bill T. Jones Dance Company, Trisha Brown Dance Company, American Dance Festival, and Gibney Dance. For more information, please contact Program Director Tara Lorenzen. That's tlorenzen at bard.edu. I'm Rebecca King-Ferraro. And I'm Michael Sean Breeden. And you're listening to Conversations on Dance. On today's episode of Conversations on Dance, our guest is Lauren Johnson, a dancer and New York City Ballet usher who has captivated the dance world with her documentation of historic New York City Ballet photography via her social media. We talked to Lauren about how she fell in love with the company, grew her collection of dance books to nearly 1,000, where she sources her incredible images of the Balanchine era and her brand new merchandise line of ornaments and sweatshirts. To view Lauren's curation of classic New York City Ballet images, follow her on Instagram at at Lauren Johnson 20. That's at L-A-U-R-Y-N Johnson 20. To purchase from her merchandise line, go to lauren-johnson.com or click the link in the description of this episode. Use our special listener code COD10 at checkout for 10% off. Hi, Lauren. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is fun because you and I got to meet this summer in Vail, but this is your first time getting a hang with Rebecca. Yeah. And we've 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 talked a lot, like we've connected because obviously we're all just huge bunhead geeks. So I think this yeah. is going to be 
be fun. <laughs> I'm so excited to be here. I've been listening for years and it's so cool to be seeing the faces that go with these voices that I know so well. You're so sweet. We found you on Instagram. You have the best Instagram account. For any of our listeners who are not following, we suggest, highly suggest following her. Um, but you had messaged us and we're like, look what, you know, this is what I'm doing. And I'm an usher at New York City Ballet and connected with us. And we love sharing all your content. So I want to hear just how you first came to become an usher at the New York City Ballet and what made that, what inspired you to then start this Instagram account that went with it? All right. If you don't mind going on a little bit of a journey with me, it actually starts a few years before mm -hmm. um, in 2014. So I'm a dancer, grew up a dancer, a competition kid. Um, I was in a company in Michigan for a few years during college. Um, and ballet was only just like a technique that I took to train for my jazz and contemporary and everything else. Um, ballet was more of just a requirement that I bore, I just bared with it. Right. Um, and it was not until I moved to New York in 2014 to do a training program at Broadway Dance Center, um, the professional mm -hmm. semester. Mm -hmm. And one of the like, events that they had us do that was part of the program was we had an open rehearsal that we got to go watch at New York City Ballet. Um, I had never even heard of New York City Ballet at this <laughs> point. I was 20 years old and I just didn't know anything about ballet world other than like my hour and a half, you know, technique classes. Sure. And we got to see a working rehearsal of Jerome Robbins's The Concert. And we got a theater tour and got to like learn about the history, like all the things that make it the jewel box, you know, all the history of the theater itself. And I was fascinated. Um, obviously, the concert, we were watching the mistake waltz. And it was so funny. And I was laughing out loud. And I had no idea that ballet could be funny. I just thought that it was this very serious, rigorous thing. Right. Um, I'd never seen anything other than like my local nutcracker. And I was just intrigued by it. And like, wow, there's this whole other world that I didn't know anything about. Mm -hmm. And a couple of weeks later, I was, are you familiar with Westsider Records, the bookstore on 72nd and Broadway? I guess mm -hmm. it's a little shout out to them. Am, yeah. <laughs> um, oh they just are filled with performing arts books. It's dance, theater, opera, music. And oh. I wandered in there and there was this whole dance section and I'm browsing the books and I see this book called Once a Dancer by Allegra Kent. Mm -hmm. And I pull it out. I don't know who this is. It's just a name with a pretty cover. And I pull it out and I'm reading the back. It says she was a principal dancer with the New York City Ballet. And I just go, huh, I think like that's that company that I saw a couple of weeks ago. You know, like, <laughs> right. oh, that's that's interesting. Let me learn more about that. So I read her book. A and great book. That, it's one of the best. Yeah. That is how I fell in love with Balanchine and the New York City Ballet through Allegra's eyes. That was mm -hmm. like my introduction to the whole world. And after that, I went back to that store and I read Jacques' book and then Suzanne's and that like it just kept going. And that was like where the avalanche started. And I mm -hmm. started collecting books like ravenously. I, mm -hmm. um, I think maybe at that time I had like maybe 30 dance books in my collection. Mm -hmm. And now I have 943 books in my collection. Oh, 
that's they're crazy. not all they're not all New York City ballet and ballet. Right. Um, there's a lot of you know Broadway and the golden age of like movie musicals and stuff. Um, it kind of branches out, but that I credit like that first time in the theater and finding Allegra's book as like the gate that opened uh-huh. everything. And I love when I'm listening to your guys' podcast and hearing how many unique ways there are like people's different paths to Balanchine or, you know, where you saw this one thing on tour, you saw it on YouTube or like mm-hmm. everyone has such a mm-hmm. unique story of how they found it. Um, uh-huh. And so that was mine is through this like chance, you know, visit to the theater and then the book. And then I just became kind of obsessed with just reading about the history and um you know I've heard Balanchine compared to like a Shakespeare or a Mozart like when you're living in a time with someone that um with that much genius and creativity and so prolific um it was just so interesting I dove into all of these books and cut to let's see the pandemic I moved away from New York, went home. And when I was returning, I decided that I needed another job between auditioning and, you know, training and uh, performing and things. I wanted to cut back on, I'd been teaching a lot. I was teaching (laughs) five nights a week before the pandemic. um, And that was really cutting into my ability to take care of my body for my training and auditioning and everything. So I was like, I need to find a job that doesn't take so much of me physically and so much mental energy too, because at home you're preparing lesson plans and choreography and editing music and picking out costumes. And I wanted a job where I could just show up, do the job and go go home. home. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But I didn't want to do waitressing. I didn't want to do a Starbucks thing. I didn't want to, I can't bear to do a job that I hate because I'm just so excited and passionate about so many different things that I mm-hmm. I was like I want to find something that I love to do and I saw on Playbill that New York City Ballet was hiring ushers the summer you know right before everything came back in 2021 when the theater reopened I was like oh my gosh that's like a dream job to get paid to be in the theater and watch every <laughs> single night um and I applied and I never heard back and the season started and I was there on opening night when the curtain came up and serenade. Oh my gosh. I was in the second row and it was just amazing. Um, but yeah, that first season back, I was just still in the audience going when I could afford to probably about once a week. And at the end of the season, it was Maria's farewell, her mm-hmm. retirement performance. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm just going to see what happens if I talk to another usher. And I know that, you know, the next season coming up is Nutcracker. They probably hopefully need more people. Um, So let me just, let me just ask. And so after the show, I asked her and she's like, as a matter of fact, we do go talk to our house manager over on, you know, house left. And so I went, I talked to her. She said, send me a cover letter and resume tonight I did it and the next day I got a call saying how would you like to work for the New York City Ballet and freaked out (laughs) besides getting a call to say that I'm like performing in a show that was like the coolest (laughs) 
you know, you've got the job kind of thing. Right. And from there, uh, so Nutcracker season was my first season ushering there, you know, working every single night, all 50 Nutcrackers. And somewhere, I don't remember what the impetus was, why I was looking for historical photos of the Nutcracker. I think I was just looking for the original from 1954, the first production, mm-hmm. Balanchine's first production, I should say. Right. Um, and I happened upon, I didn't know this existed at the time, the New York Public Library digital collection mm-hmm. that has thousands and thousands of performing arts. I mean, all sorts of different photos, but um, especially the Martha Swope photos of all mm-hmm. of the dance and theater. Um, there's actually one collection from 1954 that was by Frederick Melton. Um, And there's about 500 images of the 1954 production. And it was just this like huge rabbit hole that I fell into one night for hours and hours clicking through. Um, And I was like, there's so much here that I think a lot of people would love to see and no one knows that it's here. Mm -hmm. Or if they do know that it's here, they don't have the time to sit and click through it, you know, cause you're clicking through blurry shots out of focus, you know, this mm-hmm. is before digital cameras and stuff. So there's right. a lot of stuff to kind of shuffle through. And I was like, I think that people would really love to see this. I want to share it with people. Yeah. And so I came up with the idea to do one post per Nutcracker performance so that people on the outside can kind of get a visual sense of like how often these dancers are on stage during Nutcracker right. season, you know, <laughs> like you see one every day and then there's a two show day and another two show day. And I think there's what nine performances a week during Nutcracker season, which is crazy. And that's, that's how it started. And it really, it was a slow and gradual growth at first. Um, I really just had friends and family following me on Instagram at that point. Um, and because I didn't grow up in a hugely ballet oriented, you know, community, no one else that I was sharing it with really cared. This was just like a weird passion project of mine of like, I'm going to start posting about the history of the New York City Ballet. Yeah. And slowly, you know, maybe through hashtags or things, it started popping up on other people's timelines and people started sharing it. And all of a sudden there were, members of New York City Ballet that were following or saying, oh, this is my inspiration for Dewdrop tonight or, you know, sharing it in a, they were finding meaning in it the same way. Well, in a different way than I was, but I was wanting to kind of just reveal it to other people, you know, Mm -hmm. brush off the dust and make it available for more people to see and learn from. Yeah. So you you always have it accompanied by a caption that relates to the photo, usually a quote from a dancer that you're featuring or, you know, just something that is going to bring additional context. So how are you, um, you know, are you just rifling through your 934 <laughs> books, uh, you know, trying to find that like magic quote that matches what you're showing? Yes. So. Those that first set of posts during last year's Nutcracker season, it was really just the images. Um, there wasn't a lot of history going along with it yet. I had just found the images, and 
it was so much fun to connect with so many people through Instagram, whether it was the dancers or there were some, you know, different artistic directors that were commenting on things. There were stage hands going, oh yeah, I remember when this happened in this what? performance. Wow. Audience members um, saying, oh yeah, I saw, you know, a performance where this thing happened. And it was so interesting. I was like, I can't wait until next year's Nutcracker to do this again. This kind of like community that was kind of coming together in my comment section was so interesting. And I was like, how can I do this for the normal rep season, you know, mm -hmm. in January? And so that's when the work really began is when I started really digging deliberately, looking for images from different ballets. Usually I'm looking for the original cast, um, but sometimes there's other, you know, specific performers that took on the role um, that I'll highlight. And again, I wanted to bring more meaning to it. And there are so many tidbits, um, facts, little anecdotes that these dancers tell in their autobiographies. You know, there's so many city ballet alum that have published their autobiographies but you know the book is 300 400 500 pages long mm -hmm. and that's a lot to rifle through to get to that one paragraph about the ballet episodes you know right. there's maybe two lines in allegra's book about balancing choreographing episodes on mm -hmm. her um and it was the same thing i'm like i know that there's people out there that would want to learn about it but they either don't have access to the resources or don't have the time. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to be this portal and people, if they're going to be in the audience that night, they get a little preview of what they're going to see and what the history was behind it or people that aren't in the city and, you know, can't get to the performance. They can still kind of keep up with the company and what's being performed. So I have, yes, I use all my books a lot. I go to the performing arts branch of the New York Public Library about once a week um, when we're in season, prepping the whole next week of posts. Each post takes me about two hours to wow. put together between okay. photos. Sometimes there's some editing of the photos, whether it's, you know, lighting or just shifting things. Um, and then there's tracking down the um, the photographer. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, Michael. No, no, that's what I was going to say. I mean, what, what, what's the situation with rights and, and with um, the library allowing you to borrow materials? Like, how does that all pan out? Like, once you 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 manage to find the, the photo that you want, like, what's the process from there? When I go to the library to, there's two different things I do at the library. Sometimes it's just books that I don't have in my collection that I go and use there. But there's also the special collections room mm -hmm. where you, I communicate with them ahead of time. I set up an appointment and I request what materials I would like to see that week. Um, if it's Martha Swope photos, those are all stored on site um, and they can just pull out the box for me uh, that has what I'm looking for. Sometimes I'm looking for a folder on a specific dancer, like where's the Edward Valella file? Where's the Suzanne file? Other times it's a specific ballet I'm looking for. Other times it's a specific year. It's, there are just thousands of Martha Soap photos and it's right. insane. 
So I pull those out and I'm working with, you know, either the actual prints Mm -hmm. or the contact sheets, which I'm going to explain it for the people who don't know, because I didn't know when I first went there what a contact sheet was. (laughs) It's like an eight and a half by 11 sheet where you have all of the basically like sample photos from a shoot that are maybe two inches by two inches. Mm -hmm. Um, So they're teeny tiny. And that's where the photographer kind of decides what they want to move forward with, what they want to take to print. Um, And that is another layer of the history that is so interesting. When I'm looking at these contact sheets, we have Martha Swope. She always has this like orange, like pastel crayon marker type thing where she's marking and she'll circle one and then she'll write yes on this one and she'll star this one. Mm. And then she'll circle, circle, star, 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 yes in all capital letters. And you're like, oh, that's <laughs> the one that went to print. Right. And you're just getting to see her thought process, you know, of oh, the lighting wasn't quite right. Oh, the knee wasn't high enough in that attitude. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really cool seeing those. As far as the you, rights and sharing them, go ahead. So no, I, I was just gonna say because I, I you've you've mentioned that in in different posts before, and it's so cool because like we we all have like an idea of like we know the the iconic photo, but then you show right. us some outtakes that are just so breathtaking, and that's just that's just how it works, though you know, yeah. <laughs> like you, you know they're not gonna release a series of everything being like t- like just a little bit different, but like. You know, mm-hmm. it's Martha Swope. So it's there are so many things that are just beautiful. And they it's so fun for us that you give us that um, look into those outtakes and yeah. what might have been if if it, if that other photo had gotten a star, star, star. <laughs> <laughs> right. When you say breathtaking, I that is I mean that in like the literalist, most literal sense. There are sometimes when I'm rifling through these folders and I get to one and I like it actually takes my breath away because it's Mm. so unexpected to see this like little tiny piece of history. All right. For example, this is one that was really special when I found it. Um, When Tchaikovsky Padida was going last season, I was looking for photos of that and the digital archives online have thousands of photos, but they don't have all of them. There's Mm -hmm. at least twice as many that are undigitized that you can only see in person at the library. And there's only a handful of photos of Violet and Conrad in Chaipa. And they were the Mm -hmm. originators of the role, Mm -hmm. even though it wasn't choreographed on them. (laughs) Do we know that? Okay. We all know that. (laughs) Choreographed on Diana Adams and Jacques. Uh Um, The photos in the digital collection are all from the wings and they're very dark. And I really wanted the fish at the end. I Mm -hmm. I was like, there has to be a photo of this somewhere. And online, I couldn't find anything. The ones on the digital collection weren't there. I had no proof that this photo existed anywhere. It was just hope. Hope, (laughs) And I was flipping through And I finally found one. And so it's literally, it's two inches by two inches. And it is Violet and Conrad in the fish. And it it was just like stunning when I found it. I'm like, why has this not been printed? Why is this not everywhere? And that was just one out of probably 16 other photos on the page. Mm -hmm. They were all beautiful. But that was just this one. It really feels like a treasure hunt. And it's, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know if I'm going to find what I'm looking for. And when I do... Like sometimes it gives me chills. It's just so cool. 
and knowing that you're looking at something that like, this is the only place that this exists. And if I hadn't come here to look at it today, how many people know that it's here? I'm not saying that I'm the only one. I'm sure there are other people working in the library that do. But if I take a picture of this and share it, now there's, you know, a few hundred people that get to enjoy and appreciate this little bit of history that has just been sitting in a folder for years and years. Right. right. I love Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. That. Let's talk about the rights though because I am interested in that. Yeah. So from what I understand, if you are using it to, if you're publishing them or basically like profiting off of them, mm-hmm. um, there's a different, different route that you go. Gotcha. And there's also like, they will give you a high resolution scan. I think, honestly, I think that when I'm looking at contact sheets, I think that they actually do have all the negatives for those contact mm-hmm. sheets and they right. actually can create a full print of it. So if you're like using it in a, a big official sense, right. you go through a whole process of like paying a fee for them to digitize the negative and do all that. Mm-hmm. So I'm taking these little photos on my iPhone with, you know, there's mm-hmm. the glare and there's, you know, a crinkle <laughs> in the paper and whatever. Right. And using them for, you know, educational, um, right. Purposes. Right. So, and the library follows me and they seem (laughs) to support it. So (laughs) if I ever run into any issue, I'm more than happy to comply with, you know, whatever they ask. But so far, it seems like everything's all good. And I'm so careful. And I don't even want to say careful, like, oh, I have to do it just because it's the rule. I love giving credits to the photographers Mm -hmm. and, because it's such a work of these photos are the meeting point of so many different artists work coming together. Mm -hmm. It's the dancer and their technique and every teacher that has poured into them. It's Karinska in a lot of cases, you know, it's Mm -hmm. the costume, right? It is the lighting. Mm -hmm. It is Balanchine's choreography or whoever, you know, whatever ballet is in the photo. And the lighting designer and the photographer. And I love whenever possible crediting all of those things, because it's not just the dancer in the photo that matters. That photo exists only because all of these artists Mm -hmm. were amazing at their jobs. Right. Mm -hmm. 
I wonder if there's any specific story or anecdote that you have uncovered through this process that really maybe surprised you or struck you as something that maybe wasn't out there until you kind of started digging for it, or maybe it wasn't something that was on top of people's minds. One thing that has been, actually, I will say this during the Stravinsky festival, during our Stravinsky festival last season, Mm -hmm. I dug into, there were a lot of books published in 72 and 73 after the original Stravinsky festival. And so there was a lot of coverage of that. There were a lot of newspaper articles. That's another thing I use a lot is the New York Times machine. And you can go back and read every single old dance review article, whatever. And that is so cool because it's not a dancer looking back at their life and remembering with 2020. Mm -hmm. You are hearing how the ballet was received in real time or if it's an interview with the dancer, how they felt about it in that moment the day after they performed it. That's a whole other really interesting place to find information for the ballets. But when I was posting about the Stravinsky Festival, I was getting a lot of that camaraderie in my comment section of, um, there was a stagehand who worked the follow spot for Duo Concertant. And he talked about how difficult that was, that it was Mm -hmm. the most difficult ballet to light and how specific that mark was because you know her hands just come up mm-hmm. into it. Um, let's, let's just describe really fast what that was for people who who aren't familiar with that moment. Uh, gosh, that happens what towards the end of the ballet where we're in darkness, right? Mm-hmm. And originally it was Kay Mazo who it's just like a port de bras, right? With her arm, like mm-hmm. her palm facing her face. Yeah, and it and, right into the spotlight, right? It's just yeah. the hand. And it's like a pinpoint, like the spotlight is maybe like the size of your face. It's Mm -hmm. you have to be right on your mark. Uh And then Peter's hands come in as well and join it. And you just have to be so specific. There is a YouTube video of duo concertant with the two of them dancing that I love to watch as much as possible. You know, there's a lot of these ballets that I've never seen before. I mean before working here I've only worked here for a year before that I was just a kid that could only afford to come on Fridays and sit up (laughs) in the you know 30 for 30 seats or whatever Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of ballets that I'm sort of reporting on that I've never seen before so Mm -hmm. some of my research is just trying to find footage and see what I can learn about it before talking about it and seeing it I think I've gotten off track Stravinsky Festival. That's okay. (laughs) The guy with the spotlight. It's just so cool that that guy came in because it's such an iconic moment. And when you're talking about all these people that you want to credit, like the light in that moment is like a character Mm -hmm. on stage. So he was like such a big part of it. That's so interesting. Yes. There was someone else um, who was in the audience during the Stravinsky Festival. And she had some recollection that she shared. Um, I think it was about like the vodka toast that they, that mm-hmm. Valentin did. Um, cool. Yes. I actually work with an usher as well, who was working at the theater during the Stravinsky festival. She told the same story about, oh yes. Yeah. I work with a couple that were still around during Valentin's time. Wow. So or I cool. shouldn't say still that were. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, 
it's crazy. Um, I'm going to tell another story about all this <laughs> research. And one of the cool things that has come out of it, there are times when I'm looking through the archives in the library and on the back, you know, there's just pencil markings, writing in the names of the dancers, the year. Sometimes there's no name on the back or sometimes I find a wrong name um, or a year that I know is wrong. Like, no, so-and-so wasn't even in the company in that year yet, right. or whatever. Um but there's also a lot that I don't know. I've only been a balancing bun head for about eight years. And there's a lot that I don't know. But there is now a community of people that follow me on Instagram who I know do know. So when I run into an inaccurate piece of information in the archives, I take a photo of it. I throw it up on my Instagram stories and I say, who can identify this dancer? Or who knows what year this was? And I get people like, Heather Watts coming in. I get people like Mimi Paul coming in with information to help identify. And then I'll turn in that information to the library and I say, hey, this was just confirmed by so-and-so and so-and-so. Um, can you add that? Because it breaks my heart a little bit to know that there are dancers that may remain unidentified in these photos. And if someone like me comes along in another 20 years and is looking through them and they flip it over and there's no name, who else is going to know? There's not a digital, someone just has to know and recognize that face mm -hmm. and who are, who's going to know that best, but the people that were dancing and performing with them or You're teaching like them. Crowdsourcing this important part of history and contributing to the preservation of it too, instead of, you're not just sharing it, you're contributing to it as well. It's so cool. It makes me so excited to be able to contribute in some sort of way. Yeah, we need to get you like a, an exhibition somewhere like you curate photos <laughs> that maybe you haven't been seen and then you describe your process. That would, that would be, be amazing. I think that would yeah. be so fun. I see that in your future. Dream project. Um, <laughs> <laughs> can um, you tell us a little bit about um, your merchandise that you have just started selling that is related to what you've been doing for sure? So this all started actually during the pandemic when you know, the theater was closed, the whole company was out of work. And there was kind of a scary time in there where it's like, what is, you know, when Nutcracker season gets canceled and the next one and the next one, it's like, right. what's yeah. going to happen to the company? I guess it maybe seems a little bit silly now to think like, oh, did we really think the company was going to disappear? But like when we didn't know in the pandemic, like, Everything felt so uncertain. Yeah, it felt so uncertain. And that's such a fragile, we know that dance is such like a fragile art form that can disappear so quickly. And I wanted to be able to support the company in some sort of way. But I'm just a little dancer that doesn't have a lot of money to be able to <laughs> share in that way. But I uh -huh. wanted to use my skills as a graphic designer to maybe raise money to be able to support the company. And so I started reaching out to some of the dancers and asking what role they were most proud of and what they would like to be depicted as if I put it onto an ornament, if I illustrated them in this role. And I got quite a few responses and that was a way that I was able to connect with some of the dancers. And it ended up raising a bit of money for the company that I felt very proud to be able to contribute so cool. in some way. And moving on now that we are sort of on the other side of the pandemic, 
I wanted to be able to pivot and create something that honored rather than the current dancers, I wanted to honor the past and celebrate the dancers that came before us and those that were just, you know, pioneers. So I started illustrating dancers like Allegra and Jacques and Suzanne and Suki and Kay and, oh gosh, who else? Meryl Ashley and putting them in some of their most iconic roles. Mm -hmm. And I have those on ornaments and also sweatshirts. And the sweatshirts really came from this place of people wear superhero shirts because mm-hmm. they identify with a certain strength that that superhero has, or they aspire to be like that. People wear sports jerseys because they have a favorite player that they identify with or want to be like. And I wanted dancers to have something like that too, that mm-hmm. we could kind of carry with us into a rehearsal or a studio Or just around in day-to-day life where you go, you know what? I'm not feeling my best today. I feel like I need to channel Jacques. You know, I need Mm -hmm. to channel Patty McBride. Um, And just have a way to honor them and remember them, but also inspire us and kind of have them continue to like push us forward and be able to like wear them proudly. And it's a conversation piece. Someone can say, oh, who's on your shirt and you can talk about it. And that's another way that, you know, that the teaching continues. Yeah. And if any of our listeners wanted to check this out, we'll include a link in the description of the episode, but do you want to tell us how we can check that out? Yeah. So you can go to lauren-johnson.com. That's L-A-U-R-Y-N-johnson.com. And there's two different links. The sweatshirt as the sweatshirts are at one site and then the ornaments are on another site, but you can get to them both through that website. That's awesome. And, and before we let you go, I really wanted to dig into Nutcracker. Nutcracker season's coming up for everyone. And so this is a perfect time to chat with you about this. You have a series coming up again on your Instagram. So tell us a little bit about what we can expect while we're following you and maybe some of the cool things that are coming up that can tease for us. Yeah, so we're all ready. We just finished our five show weekend. We've got 45 more shows coming up. So that means 45 more Nutcracker posts that you can check out on my Instagram. And this year, what I'm really excited about is all 50 posts are coming directly from the archive. So these are photos that are not digitized. They're not out there anywhere else. Um, Hopefully, these are mostly photos people are seeing for the first time. I mean, so, those Jelana photos that you just posted, I mean, I, certainly I, I had not seen those ever. And that was just, it brightened my whole day. It's, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's it's great what you're doing. Yeah. So there's some photos of Tanny as the dewdrop that mm. I had never seen before mm. that I'm really excited to post. Um, some things of, you know, everyone thinks of Allegra being a principal and being sugar plum or dewdrop. And in the 1954 production, she was marzipan Mm -hmm. Um, and not, not even lead. She was a yellow one. And so there's little pictures of her in the back kneeling down with her little flute. And I think it's so cool to see, Oh, I have photos of Suki and Kay when they were in the core. So, you know, we kind of just think of these people once they got to principal status, but Mm -hmm. seeing them when they were 
younger in the company, I think is just so interesting. Yeah, yeah for sure. That's so great. And can you share your Instagram handle with everyone too, in case people are not following you, which shame on them, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's at Lauren Johnson 20. So two zero at the end. Awesome. And I can't wait to connect with hopefully even more fun heads out there. And if you see anything else where you go, hey, I think that I know more about this photo, please add more in the comments. I love when other people know more than I do. I don't I don't think that I know a lot. I just like to learn a lot. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I just pull all these pieces from other people and put it together and share it. It's just like balancing, assembling steps, but you're assembling information, you know? <laughs> I love that. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're doing great work and we're so glad that you were able to join us today. We will continue to be following you as always. And we love to share your posts in our Instagram story when we see them. I Sometimes I have to stop myself. I'm like, Rebecca, you just shared one like yesterday because every single one I want to share. They're so good. (laughs) They're so great. So thank you so much, Lauren. We appreciate it. This was so much fun. Thank you for inviting me to be here. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.